Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in. Whether you're a seasoned listener or a new listener joining us for the first time, welcome to this episode of Stages. I'm Peter Ayers and my guest today is playwright Lanika Den. Lanika is just 19 and is already garnering much attention for her work. Her debut play Dead Skin is about to receive a production at the King's Cross Theatre. I was particularly delighted to speak with Lanika as our paths had first crossed about four years ago in a classroom. She struck me then as a passionate and intelligent theatre maker. Learning that her play was about to have a premiere season, I couldn't resist a chance to catch up and learn more. So, here's my very exuberant chat with Lanika Den. Chris, I think, and I live in fear that yeah. you record and... And then it doesn't? Yes. Yeah, I live in that fear every day. But the battery is going and... Is it? recording That's what okay. what fear do you live in every day? no i well my fear with this is that i make i'm a soundie's worst nightmare i make everything peak because my laugh comes out of nowhere it's right. like just like a ha huh, and then it's too loud so i'll be speaking like this and then i'll be like ha ha and then that's what i'm wearing headphones so yeah oh i'm sorry yes. i'll try it <laughs> no, that's good just calm down why calm are you down. so yes why are you so excited because it's fun I'm excited to be working and it's been like COVID took all of it and postponed it so it's just so exciting to be like back in theatre and I've been seeing so much theatre yeah um I've been going to KXT constantly now that they've started up and this is uh, King's Cross Theatre oh King's Cross yeah don't you hate how wanky that is that I just use an acronym with like no the listener doesn't know yeah I know no no it's so wanky I'm so So sorry so sorry for that no I do it to everyone even kids I teach to teach um I teach a few kids in HSC drama and I'm like oh STC and I'm like no Sydney Theatre Company I'm so sorry um, I'm not being a wanker which is no 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 we assume sometimes that yeah. people know and they should know yeah sometimes. they should so especially the if, you know your, your students if they're wanting to sort of mm. go into the business they yeah, need to know what STC is but sometimes it helps to uh, yeah. to explain those things um, do you as a, a, a burgeoning uh, emerging artist oh, yes. yeah um, <laughs> do you feel a bit um well, 2020 was pretty fucked, really, yeah. and deprived a lot of young artists from the start of a career. Yeah. How did you cope with 2020 and the pandemic? And oh. I mean, you talk about now sort of feeling a bit more freedom, your plays mm. getting produced and all that sort of thing. But but what did? How did 2020 yeah. stall you or affect you? Oh, 2020 was terrible. I was when COVID hit. I was in the middle of assistant directing like a little indie play at Flight Path and. I was about to leave that to go um, to Japan as the Australian representative for the international 
um, Young People's Festival of Theatre. They had like a World Congress and they asked me to go to Japan and like help develop theatre over there, which I was like, I do not feel qualified to be here, Um, but this is awesome. So I was like going to have a proper year last year and I had a few other things lined up and a few film gigs and all of them got um, canned and that's like went online, digital, that sort of thing. Um, So at the beginning of it, I was like, wow, I've just come out of high school and the world's ending. Sick one. Like, what am I going to do with this? Um, But I think what I did instead was that I feel like there was so much immense pressure on artists last year to create new work. Everyone was like, well, if we have all this time to develop, we should just develop everything. And like, let's make a COVID show. Let's make a Zoom show. And like, scaring me and how many things were made. But um, I took it as more of a time like, yeah, if development happens, it happens. But I just come out of high school and had to sort of find out who I was as a person. And I think last year was just a year for me to find out who I am. And even though COVID happened, go to a bunch of things. I met so many people last year, even through COVID. And I think to me, that was the best development that I could have possibly done because meeting new people meant when I went to, um, because I had the draft of Dead Skin when I was 17 and then A2YP came on board, dramaturged. And I didn't actually finish the final draft until November of last year, so 2020. And that year of experience of meeting new people, hearing their perspectives, sort of just getting out in the world, to me was the best drama drama school that I could have ever gone to. And it meant that when I came back to write the next draft of the play, I saw all the beautiful naivety of Seventeen in it, kept that in it. But then also had like a new sort of, again, sounds a bit wanky, but a new sort of mindset of like, oh, this is what I want to actually say with this work. And yeah, I think that was sort of the best development ever. I just focused on being with people rather than who I am as an artist because no one can do anything like COVID fucked us all. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to be an effective artist, you touched on it. You've got to know who you are as a person, oh, don't totally. you? Totally. So, so what did your period of self-searching and reflection, what, what did it come up with? Who, um, who is Lanika Den now? Because oh, I, my I, goodness. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and we should uh, acknowledge that um, yes. I was a teacher of Lanika's at high school oh, in the past. Yes, an influence on my work. And now you're a, um, a professional colleague. Yes. Oh, yes. stop it. That's very exciting. Uh, so who are you as a person now? Um, yeah. Oh, wow. What a big question. Um... I think writing this play was sort of very influential in me developing who I am as a person. I think it made a lot of things come out that I didn't know was the case. When I was developing, this is going to trigger warning, this is going to get a bit deep, not anything too intense, but um, I had like a super, super severe eating disorder when I was developing the play. I was really sick. I was at this point in my life where I was trying to be this ideal woman and try and fit into this box of an actress like that was really big for me at that point I was like well I'm great at this and I can see what other people are doing that are great at this and they're all really skinny and they're all really pretty and that sort of thing so I tried really hard to fit into that mold because you were correct me if I'm wrong but you had a fashion label or were you yeah, working yeah, in fashion yeah I, yeah I did, did a bit of fashion did I did, that I did modeling at all oh my god of course you're modeling you're right. modeling like you are constantly being looked at and you've got to have this sort of way of being and it's, I remember when I was so 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 skinny I was still told like you should lose my more weight for stuff especially because I was doing a bit of runway stuff and like it was just it was more of just like a mentality like oh this is how I have to be but I was dying at the same time and couldn't focus on things and had no real like interest or anything and this play was sort of the thing that I think kept me alive in a way because I started learning more about myself within it and I started writing it as this like I wrote I started writing it because it was um for my mum 
my mum and I are really close and we have a super close bond and after all of this like oh my god we're like soul soulmates I say and um how is your mum She's great. Because she, she was very special and uh, a delightful ah! exuberance. <laughs> she, she always greeted me with a big smile. Oh, she loves a, you. She's so excited hug. I'm here today. Oh, great. Well, that, that's good to hear. But also, most importantly, which I think is so important for, for young artists, is to have the support of their parents. And totally. you know, your mum would do anything to sort of uh, oh, she... support you in your pursuit of, of theatrical Absolutely. excellence. Yeah, Absolutely anything. She supports me all the way. She's the first person to like... Make, like she's always asking me what my schedule is every day and I'm like mum it's okay like we can all calm down I'm like I'll get there but no she supports me entirely and has given me sort of the space I like I'm not going to university at this moment in time and that sort of thing and she's like that's totally fine do what you need to do facilitates me as an artist helps me live at home at the moment so that I can do all of this and um, sort of write some new work before I end up choosing what I'm going to do sort of with it like as an artist I think I want to go into studying psychology because I think that is going to help me in creating more work and I I, the entire reason that I'm involved in this is because I'm obsessed with the human psyche I love behavior and I love how people change all the time and I think the most interesting work is watching like family dysfunction and how and all the behaviors that go within that that makes people crazy like oh I just love that stuff so I want to go study psychology and then learn more to take into my work and stuff because there's a lot of great plays which are concerned with the family and dysfunctionality mm. yeah. and, and coping <laughs> and relationships yeah. between parents and children yeah all that stuff siblings and yeah. yeah no I love it I think that's the most interesting I think that's why I love Rita I can never say last name so sorry Kinlidges baby teeth writer um, lovers, first love is the revolution writer amazing writer is because she people like tried to say the baby teeth was like not a coming of age story I love that I'm just like promoting this but like um, they were trying to say it was like a coming of age cancer story and they hated it no it was not it was um, for me personally it was four people that were all affecting each other most in the room like she sort of sat down and went okay I have a teenage girl who would be the worst person to pair with a teenage girl a drug dealer boyfriend who would that affect the parents let's give her cancer because that's going to raise the stakes like and it's just a pressure cooker of time that's how I write that's what I love to write because I think human behavior in tense situations is the most interesting thing ever so yeah I just sort of love that and I'm excited to go do that eventually but mum's a big supporter and lets me do all my stuff that I need to do at the moment. So writing the play was a bit of a salvation. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, writing a play was Don't a bit worry, of a salvation. I'll, I'll keep <laughs> writing a play was a bit of a salvation because um, I in this play that I wrote for my mum, it's uh, basically questioning our maternal bond. It's really strong, and I questioned whether that would exist had we never met. So if you would have that thing, um, seeing your mum on the street, if you'd know who that was, and I really think yes, because I've did a bunch of research into it. Mm-hmm. She, she had, if, if she'd given you birth, of course, but you were perhaps given up for adoption yeah. or... Yeah, or, or just that um, separated she left, da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So definitely still birthed and then where yeah. that went. And, um, yeah, from that, uh, I said yes because there's this whole big thing that um, when... Even if a baby is placed near the mum but not placed directly on the mum, the baby will walk up to the mum's breast and suckle on it regardless because that's where the heart is. Oh, it kills me. A um, bunch of things like that. It's very, we do have an animalistic instinct to our mum. And um, so then I wrote this play that's about um, uh, Andy, who's 17, and then Andrea, who's 17, and they both work at the same um, convenience store in Surrey Hills at the same time in their lives, so when they're both 17, and they're not connected through time, but connected through this weird bond, and they both experience love for the first time. That's what it's about. Um, but within that, 
I have the younger teen character um, has like a queer love story. She's a lesbian. Um, and that was like a big thing for me that like has only been a recent thing of being like, why did I write this play? And then being like, oh, that's why I wrote the play um, because I am queer. So that's a whole recent revelation and there's so much in the text that so is isn't that only a dawning recent time it's been like a three month it's been like a after dramaturgy notes like i knew that i was queer but like what queer meant was very like ugh, who knows but it's been a recent thing where i'm like i am a lesbian that's what i am <laughs> so, from so doing the work define for me your interpretation of queer so. um queer well, is it queer gay to me. equivalent to gay yeah or? yeah yeah, yep. gay um like queer just in its term, I can't, uh, there's an actual definition for it, but it just means an interest in something that isn't heteronormative. That's yep. what the word queer, and I I'd identified with that as soon as I wrote the play. I was like, yeah, that's definitely me, but I don't really know what that means. But then since writing it, since reflecting, since experiencing stuff in my life, I went, no, 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 like I'm definitely gay. And that was a huge moment from writing the play. The play, okay preface the play is not about me not about my family it is highly fictionalized and if you think it is like that's crazy um but all playwrights must invest some some knowledge and totally subconscious as well which is so weird to have that happen and then yeah no it was a huge it's not a coming of age story because all the characters know who they are and know what's happening and then have different arcs where they experience new things because i'm very passionate about young people not having to come of age and things it's always young people having to discover themselves. No, I think a lot of teenagers know who they are to an extent. And then there's different things that happen along the way. I just hate when things are always like, teenagers know nothing. We're naive because I wrote this at 17. I think there's some points in there that I'm like, wow, girl, kill it. Um, <laughs> and as people get older, they they forget perhaps what it was mm. like, all the detail oh, of what it was like being a teenager. That's why I'm so passionate about getting yeah. young people in the work early because I get it. Like, it doesn't mean that young people always obtain the skills in order to make a play i think i'm quite a rarity that i actually worked it out i don't know how i did but um i think that we should be fostering young voices so 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 much more like teenage voices because that's the most authentic representation of that time like that's why i think the play works because it is a representation of 17 because it was written by a 17 year old and if i would have seen that at 17 on the stage i think i would have been like oh my god this like i can do that I, I think it would have been it would have made a difference and I probably would have written even earlier than I had had I seen that at an earlier time. There's been a handful of, of teenage or very young yeah, voices few, who few. have had plays produced professionally, you mm. know, in, in the UK and, and here. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. I'm thinking there's um there's Poly, Poly Stenham, that, yeah. that face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, oh there was one at Belfort, like uh, and it was a really old one from Britain. Oh, but I can't remember the name. How but that much? was probably... <laughs> yes, that's what it was. <laughs> so, do, do, do you think the industry takes young people seriously? No. Right? No, no. I mean, there's organisations like Australian Theatre for Young People who obviously Beats. foster and nurture and all that sort of thing. Totally. But um, as a... as a, cause how, how old are you? 19. 19. The, the mainstream companies, Balboa Street, Sydney Theatre Company, Melbourne Theatre Company, oh. would they give a young voice a hearing? Well, that's what I'm hoping to sort of pave the way for because at the moment I haven't seen that happen and I don't think that's the fault of the theatre companies etc I think it's just that there hasn't been any new voices championed and maybe there hasn't been many people that have been pitching things that are as young as I have um yeah I was just very lucky that cake um that I won the state theatre company of South Australia's young playwrights award that was the thing that kicked all of this off so I'm thankful to that because state theatre company champion 
young writers like that is a specific award that is for someone that is under 18 and that sort of stuff is like um so important in getting things picked up and then put into like it got put into kxt storytellers festival kim found it there kim picked it up got produced kim hardwick kim Hard. oh my god sorry <laughs> i need was, to I just talk like you're i think you're all my friends um who, yeah. was, who was producing uh, who was 17 producing. at kxt yes yeah. um and directing isn't she Yes, she's yeah. directing and, and Martin as well. Martin is also producing. Martin I never Kinane. give him enough credit. I Ma- love him. <laughs> yeah, is he doing lighting as well? Yeah, he's doing oh, all right. of it. I'm very excited. And we, oh, we've got such a good creative team. There's like people that are so much more qualified. And I'm like, oh. Um, so thank winning you. that prize, do you yeah. get some sort of uh, reading or stage yeah, in, in it Adelaide? Yeah, it had a partial reading in Adelaide, but obviously I couldn't attend. I was doing the HSC. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I, it got the award. And then um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really good because it had a bunch of... Like, there was a bunch of feedback, and I got dramaturgy from that as well before I started with ATYP, and there was a bunch of feedback that I got, and it meant that I could further develop the play, which was, yeah, fundamental to how it is today, which is so good, and then it allowed it to get picked up because people would finally read it. That was my biggest thing, which is why I say that the industry doesn't champion new work by really, really young writers is because no one would read my play. They'd all say, yes, we'll read it, and then no one would read it. So it wasn't even that the play itself was not up to scratch. It was that no one would read it in the first place in order to say it wasn't up to scratch. So you don't, you don't get any feedback, really, from anyone? No, I didn't. And that was I didn't know if it was a piece of garbage. Like, I didn't know what I'd written and whether it would have a life after this, but I knew that I was really passionate about it. And... Um, I don't know. I think it's really disheartening because, see, I'm a bit of a crazy one. Like, I'm a bit of a crazy hustler. Like, I've I got Redford Convenience Store to shoot in because I made the guy a cake because I'm actually insane. Um, so I'm a bit... I, like, put my work out there and you can reject me and then I'll go to someone else. Well, the, the, worst, but, so, uh, the worst thing somebody can do is say no. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and no's... Yeah. Like, whatever. No happens and no happens all the time. But it's better than the possibility of, like, a yes. Like, that's what we want. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I'm very much, I put my work out there and I'm, I sort of disassociate from it. I go, this is a story I love, but it's not me and the work. It's just, this is something that I love. See if you like it. So I don't get, I'm not a super writer that gets, I tear up scenes. Like, I don't care. Um, You you kill your babies. I do kill my babies a lot and then rebuild them and then nurse them and then kill them again and then rebuild. Isn't um, that a great expression? (laughs) Yes. I mean, somebody somebody said that to me, I thought, what? (laughs) But it's true, you become so uh, attached to, yeah. to parts of your script or That's your so performance true. or whatever, and yeah. sometimes you just have to uh, jettison the things you love oh, for totally. the sake of the, the whole the whole body, yeah, the effectiveness the same, of the whole. Yeah. And the story as well. It's mm. like, if that story is important and you think it's important, you've always got to think what you're talking about is important. People who just write things because they think that's in right now or go, oh, I'm going to hit quotas. Oh, my God, No. Write something that you think is important, and then if there's that, you there will be a universal, um, universal, universal. What Universality. Is it? Thank you. Um, That's <laughs> why I'm the teacher. Yes, oh, <laughs> And I just can't speak, and I wrote a play. Um, but yeah, there's something in that that everyone will resonate with if you believe in it enough, um, and like you believe in what you're saying and you're passionate about it. There'll there's something that's in that. Um, but when you're not, that's why it's not. Um, there was a point to that. Um, that I just knock down doors with it and just go, here you go. But I know that if a fellow young person to be told, no, well, not even no, to just be ghosted with your work 
It means that you're unlikely to put it out there again. I had a really hard thing with this. I submitted it to, not going to name names, but wow, I wish I could, a certain theatre society that was a university, and they took this on. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm a playwright um, at a university. And um, they went to put it on, and then two weeks later gave me um, two days to make 100 changes. I did the 100 changes, sent it back to them, and then they said, no, we just don't want to put it on anymore. Sorry, bye. And it's like that rejection so early in the work. I, I was lucky that I'd already submitted it for the State Theatre Company Award because if that would have happened and I hadn't, I would not have touched this work ever again. I think I would have just shut down completely as a person and been like, the thing I've written is terrible. It's so unfair and irresponsible yeah. of that organisation to make you do yeah. all of that work in a short amount of time. Yeah, and then just go, sorry, we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff like that that can break people and especially a young person, not because we're any less strong, but I mean it's your first little steps into the industry and to not have people take it seriously or to have people just go, yeah, I'll do it. And then not actually mean it is just so influential and whether you'll stay in it or not. So, well, the industry is so full of rejection with your performer or director, designer, playwright. Yeah. How, how have you coped with rejection when you've had it? Um, I think I've been doing this so long that in the beginning I used to have mental so breakdowns. at 19. Yeah, so long. Oh, I feel so long. It feels long. I've been doing it since I was about 13 and it feels it, too it, it long. spur you on to actually continue to do it and to persevere and be resilient? Oh, I think I just love it so much. I think when you do it, it's like whatever you're doing, whether you're writing and then someone puts it on or whether you're acting... I think when you when you know what that feeling is to be able to be part of telling a story that you care about, like, that's everything. Even if you have to go through an admin job or you have to do all the hardship that's not to do with the creative stuff, you do it for those small, tiny moments that you get to do the work that you care about because they are everything. It's, like, euphoric, so... Well, I know, I know that you see lots of plays. You always love have. the theatre. But but before writing the play, had you read many plays? Yes. Yeah. I'm a weirdo. Right. So. No, no, I don't. Think <laughs> I think you're fantastic for doing it. So, who were the playwrights that spoke to you? Who were the playwrights whose work you really enjoyed? Um. Well, when I was 13, I asked my mum for an AustralianPlays.org subscription, and she was like, "What's wrong with my child?" She's like, "Yay!" But also, what what the f? Because I just um I'd started drama. I was at I was at um uh, a performing arts high school in Western Sydney, like a little public one. And I'd started drama and I'd gone, wow, like I love all this. I just want to read plays. And we'd done Boy Overboard as a play at school. And I was like, oh, well, Patricia Cornelius. Okay. Like this is a little, like it's her little, you know, like a little school commission. Oh, she made a shit ton of money, but it's like not a passion project. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is great. You know, like I'm learning so much about the world. Okay. I'm just going to read her other works. So at 13, I read Love. Oh my God. Oh my God. And because I'm from like uh, Penrith way, I remember reading that and being like, oh, there are people who sort of speak like a lot of people I know on stage. Because at that point I'd only known contemporary British works like Tom Stoppard, like, you know, when I'd go to my occasional STC time with school or like Shakespeare and like those two people definitely not connected theatre wise, but to me were both too intellectual for me to even understand at 13. I was just like, oh, they're both having a wank with words. I don't know what's going on, but I like that there's theatre and lights and stuff. But then reading someone who wrote, like, people that I knew, I went, oh, we can have this on stage? What? Blew my mind at 13. And then I, Patricia Cornelius, now I'm on her professional colleagues' email list and I get all her notifications for her shows. Fantastic. Have Kills you met, me. Have you met her? Yeah. Well, she's, she, I haven't met her in person, but we've had, um, we've had chats and lots of email talks and, like, she's read some of my work and I've been like, oh, my God, thank you. 
Um, but when she comes to Sydney next, I'm getting coffee with her and I'm going to die. Oh, oh right. So, so yeah. as a young artist and as pushy as you are, <laughs> I, mean that, I mean that very complimentary. Um, will you write to various people and say, come and see my play at KXT yeah. and really push it? And, I, I mean, to be seen, to be heard. Yeah. Well, I, what I really want for this work is that I want it to be seen. Um, like, obviously, it's going to be I'm going to be pushing for all like the big, big note companies to see it because I want to I just want to prove to them that a 17 year old can do stuff like I don't think a university degree defines your ability to make good art I think that when we think like that then that only allows really intellectual people and people who are going to talk about philosophy and stuff to like have a go and I think um, I'm very passionate about the working class um, not being seen as dumb in works Um, just because you don't um, have the same sort of like university intellectual look at the world doesn't mean that you are not smart there's different ways of smart and everyone has an opinion. So showcase their voices, have their voices heard. And yeah. And I think that's important to making sure that theater is accessible. Like theater has a bit of a, Oh my God, I'm making general generalizations, but it's true. Theater has a bit of an aging population. Like we look at some theaters and we're like, wow, we don't know if their audiences will last any longer because they might die. Um, and well, it's I about think, cultivating new audiences yeah, new for the audiences, future, isn't right? it? And sort of, um, how do we get young people into how the How do we get theater? young people into Especially the theatre? Especially when there's such competition with streaming services and Netflix. Totally. You know, who wants to go to the theatre when you can stay home and binge and watch a, Netflix. a series? Yeah. yeah, It's about creating the world of theatre and, you know, you know, the stuff that brings us there, being in a world and seeing it on stage and being a part of that is such a beautiful thing. But you're only going to get that for young audiences if you have young people involved in that storytelling. And I'm not saying that we start... Because this is the thing that I was talking about recently with someone I was having such a rant about, that um, we have shows that are emerging artist shows and everyone in the show is like a new emerging artist that is female, queer, blah, 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 and it's like a quota show. Or we have established professionals doing a full full um, main stage and then we, then we get angry because it's all white men and we hate white men and blah, blah, blah. But I think we should just be merging the two so that everyone actually learns. It should be emerging artists that are with established creatives. Like, I'm so thankful for Martin, I can never say his last name. Kanane. Kanane and Kim Hardwick at White Box for taking this on because they are established professionals. They know what they're doing. I'm a new writer. Kim Hardwick helped me dramaturg the work and then ATYP came aboard and helped me dramaturg the work. I've had a bunch of established creatives help me create this and there's no way I could have done it to the um, standard that it is by myself. But they're still channeling a new young voice, still having established creatives look over it, but it meant that like the work actually came together and is a new story that I think will get a lot of new audiences into see theatre that haven't. Like a bunch of my friends... I have a lot of friends who don't see theatre and they're coming. And it's like, this is great. This will foster new relationships with theatre. So I think it's just finding a balance of getting new emerging creatives in the industry and having established professionals that can help mentor them. Like, that's all it is. But we just need to do it more. Like, we just don't do it enough. Or we do the polar opposite thing. Uh, are all of your characters young people? Or do you have some old um, people? I do. I do have some. But it's all from the perspective of Andy at 17. But I will say that I think I've, like, like they're... There are some older people, but I think I've handled them quite well. Right. Um, I have a my, fa- my father in the play, because I'm in the play, I'm Andy, um, and my father in the play is um, 37, and my mum in the play is well goes from 17 to 27, sort of, in the time period. Um, so who are your actors? 
I, oh, I've got such a beautiful cast. I've got a bunch of new faces that have just come from drama school and I'm very excited. I was really excited um, to get new faces. I auditioned a bunch of um, people 17 and up because KXT restrictions and things, but I saw so many new faces and that made me happy to make sure that there was lots of people. It was all inclusive. It wasn't just the normal actors. Um, but yeah, we've got Ruby um, Meishman as uh, Maggie, who is a new new Whopper grad and another new Whopper grad, Camilla Point. Mary. You're going to have to get better with names. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Camilla. Um, and she's Audrey. And then we have Abe Mitchell as Henry. Um, and he is insane. They all are. But yeah. Um, and then uh, Sarah Jane Kelly is my, as um, Andrea. So, right. yeah. Are they going to let you class. in the rehearsal room? Or as Kim said, okay, you can't come into rehearsal. Oh, well, I'm acting in it. So I oh, act- you're acting yeah. in it. So, okay, well, that'll be an interesting dilemma, won't it? I mean, how do you separate Mm -hmm. the actor and the playwright? Oh, because I'm so distant from the work. Right. I don't even remember the work. Like, I go back at it and I'm like, oh, that's, like, it's not my words anymore. It's just become a thing that exists. And, um, no, Kim's very much like you can't ask her notes about the play because it's, like, we've all asked the notes. We had the first read. We asked all of the notes. I, I said everything that I think... And then it sort of just has been in rehearsals. I'm just an actor. That's it. Um, but I think it's good because I'm not a super writer. I'm not a writer. I don't think. I think I'm a human being that writes and a human being that acts. Sounds wanky, but Sam Nail said it. Um, and I think that means that I don't have much pressure on what this has to be. Even the way I've written, a lot of it is a bit ambiguous. And I'm like, oh, yeah, figure that out. And it's because I want to see someone come in and, like, do stuff with it. So I think... I'm quite a open writer that it's like, it's not even like I've written the play, basically. Right. Yeah. Now tell me, what genre of music do you like listening to? What genre? Oh, that's... I love listening to music that's um not... Uh, doesn't have words in it. Like, I love film scores. So um, I'm trying to think what that's your thing. That's your storytelling bug again, that narrative. Yeah. I love film scores as well I because it's scores. such an art, isn't it? To yeah. sort of take you on... To, to underscore and support some action in a film, but also... Mm-hmm. It, it te- you can just lay there and listen and it tells a story oh, yeah. yeah no it's so beautiful I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the one song I love at the moment um, oh my god am I going to get it up am I going to do this oh you're getting your phone out <sighs> sorry no 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 but to show you something interview no I'm trying I'm such a millennial but I'm trying you, um, you never used to be this loud I love it. You become. I became a person. I mean, I started eating. I became a person. Oh right, but you you were always a very determined, always uh, determined, but very curious, passionate, and and hungry for for the business. Um, So hungry. Yeah, still am to this day. Like yeah, yeah. and that's what you need to drive you. I think you. It's a hustle Mm. because. It's like there's so many – this is what I always think about when I get imposter syndrome. There's so many untalented, untalented people that are involved in this. Mm. And it's like, well, I know that I'm not that untalented and I know that I have something important to say and what, and what I find important I think others will find important, like young women, young queer women at the forefront of what I do and give you a voice to them. And because I'm passionate about it, I know that someone else will come on board that. Um so I think, yeah, you've got to hustle. You can't just be an actor that's got an agent and that's it. Like, yeah, you have that, but it's all about um, what so you're much, doing. So much competition, isn't there? Yeah, no, there is. <laughs> yeah, you've had your phone out. What, what's your most used app? Um, <laughs> my most used app? Um, probably Instagram. All right. I love Instagram because it's pictures. 
I'm not a like I've I've had to um uh, you can do this thing where you hide your notifications for certain people. So I still follow them because they're my friend, but I can't do another bikini photo shoot. Like I, I really know just some cannot. people become obsessed with the particular yeah. photo, really, oh, isn't it? I really and, and selfies. <laughs> you know, twenty a day. Yeah. Something. I know. I can't see that anymore. I'm like, I love that you've got vanity because, like, you know, that means you love yourself. Like, well, maybe <laughs> that's a whole other story. But good for you. But I've just got to, like, you know, do a little bit of a hide notification. But I love the account. We're not really strangers. It's a bunch of it's um, a sort of um, palm card game that you can buy, and it's where um, you can ask other people on the palm cards like really intense questions. So it'll be like, "How are you?" But no, really, "How are you?" And like you answer them, and there's all things about yourself, like what's the thing that's hurt you the most in the last month, and then you talk about it. And they post little free ones on there and little things each day to like think about. Um, I love all the mental health stuff. I think that that's just like great on there. So I don't use it for like selfies but more for like sorting myself out <laughs> do you read for pleasure what, what are you reading ah, at the moment? read for pleasure oh i'm trying to think i'm about to start um the convenience store wim- woman uh, ironic because of my play but it's a japanese novel that's apparently amazing that my sister recommended me um but i have not started it um but for pleasure oh my god i have read something i'm just trying to remember mostly plays that's what i usually read in scripts i'm trying to remember oh favorite play that i read recently morgan rose new writer in melbourne um and it's called desert 6 29 p.m oh it's, it was on all the um all the lists for some for the drama schools and stuff this year because she's a new great writer um and a bunch of my friends were doing the monologue and i went oh my god i want that monologue what is this and then i looked at the play and it's a beautiful retelling of this um queer young teenage girl who's just come out of high school and her family dysfunction basically but there's like a scene there's an uno card scene where they get all of the family dysfunction out over uno and it's the best thing i've ever like read it's right up your alley listening to (laughs) the things you like in the theater it ticks all the boxes yeah it's just perfect yeah do you sing in the shower um (laughs) no i don't you don't you're not one of those people no i don't sing in the shower which is sad i think i should no i'm very contemplative that's your homework Okay, I will go. Well, actually, no, no, I think I'm contemplative too. It's a great yeah. place to think, isn't it? No, I, it runs over you. Yeah, and you have all these deep thoughts that you've never, like, you know, the three AM thoughts. But in the shower, it's nice. Do you get that? I mean, when you're writing and in, in creative and that fertile mode, do you do you wake up at three o'clock and think, oh my god, that's an idea, and reach for a pen and paper and write it down? Or? Um, I sleep straight through. Like I'm a straight through sleeper. But what will happen is, is that I'll wake up in an. I do this. I wake up in an anxiety spiral, and not like how cute people go. I have anxiety. No, like it's an actual illness. It's an actual thing. Okay. But um, I will wake up sometimes in the middle of an anxiety spiral where I can't control my thoughts and there'll be an idea that comes in that. So I'll sit in that for like two hours and then go and then it'll finally pass and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm going to die. But I'll write all of that down and then I'll write it down. So anxiety spirals are quite useful for creative work. Wow. Okay. Now what makes you laugh? What do you makes find, me laugh. What do you find funny? <laughs> need I ask? Um, I think I find everything funny, which you've seen from this. But um, what I really find funny at the moment is I've been going around Newtown and there's just so many effed people with their cars and the way they treat their cars. And I've been taking photos of all the effed things that I've seen. The other day, I just saw a car and it had closed the door, but just like the seatbelt had been like weirdly left out of the car door. And it made me laugh for like five minutes and I cried like on the street. My friend was like, what's wrong with you? And then I saw another one where someone had 
their garage door, like their car was there, and they had the garage door um, on top of their car. So half of their car was in the garage door, and I took a photo with it again because I thought it was the funniest thing yeah. out. Do you think you'd like to write a comedy one day? Um, I think Dead Skin is a comedy. It is a comedy. Yeah, is it's it? quite Sorry. well. It's a comedy, but it's also like dreamy surrealist. It's like a, it's got no genre, but I think funny is what I do. I do. I do. Um, quirky. Yeah, quirky. Quirky. I, I do. Um, <laughs> I wish people could see the faces that I do. Um, I do. Uh, Tiger with Titi. His happy sad. It's called happy sad. Is what he does, and I like what he does, and I try and do that a lot. Where you go from like, aha, this is so funny, to oh my god, I want to die. Like. I like the mix of that, of like really heartfelt things and then really funny things from that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. he does that extremely well, doesn't he? Does he does it so well. What was it beautiful? For the Rabbit film recently? Rabbit? Oh, no. Jojo Rabbit. Jojo yeah. Rabbit, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that yeah. is my entire like inspiration style. Love that stuff. It's cute. It lulls you into this false sense of security. And then, oh my and God, the horror. You're ruined. The horror. <laughs> the yeah. horror. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, who are the young people making a difference in the world today, as far as you're concerned? Um, young people. Ah, yeah. oh, there's there's so many in different. Like the thir- first thing that I think of is Greta Thunberg. Like yeah. that's obviously like that's an insane thing to be doing. Um, there was oh my god, again bad with names, but there was someone in Sydney that organised the climate school activism march. Yeah. Amazing. I think there's a bunch of young people doing amazing things that aren't getting credit for it, and even even the way young people are. Um, acting within each other and friendships and things. I have a bunch of friends that, yeah, they're not doing big, crazy things, but they're making such a difference in their friends' lives, like mental health-wise, when people are going through terrible things. I have so many friends that are just, like, giving their heart out to people. So I think there's a bunch of young people making a difference, and we should give them more platforms to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, uh, 17 is is going to be... Dead skin. Stop calling it the wrong name. Why am I calling it 17? Because they are 17, I guess. Did you write a... I'm no, I did not. No, I'm not doing Matthew... uh, uh, What's his name? Whitlet? Whitlet. Yeah, Whitlet. I'm not doing Matthew Whitlet 17. Andy is 17. Andrea is 17. Yeah, I'm reading your blurb. Oh, that's cute. You think I'd get my research. (laughs) So why'd you call it dead skin? Um, Because at the time that I wrote this, I was going through... I didn't know that this is what it was, but a super big anxiety spiral with the eating disorder because eating disorder is um, a form of anxiety and OCD. Didn't know any of this until after. Um, and I would pick at my face so badly. I would bite at my lips so badly. Wouldn't know that I was doing it, but I was going through a spiral that my lips would bleed constantly. And I, it was like just sort of this weird state of anxiety, but it was also this thing that I found really, I don't know, familiar and visceral. And it became this sort of motif in my work as something that both the mother and daughter could do, even though that they didn't know each other and they had the same sort of, um, idiosyncrasies and, it became this sort of thing of like peeling it back and the raw and bleedingness of it became sort of like a metaphor for the rawness of like love at 17. And it, yeah, it just started being this big thing and then it became an edgy title because why not? I think, and I think it's great. Yeah. That's great. And does it look good uh, on a poster? And it looks hot on a poster. Yeah, yeah. I've got this little trailer that's coming out, but I don't care. I'll spoil it, whatever. And um, uh, there's a trailer and lips uh, get pulled down. And then on the inside, like a lip tattoo, it says dead skin. Like it says like on oh, the inside great. of the lips, yeah. like a lip yeah. tattoo. Yeah. I- eyeliner. Eyeliner and dry in your mouth and then you can do it. Crazy, crazy the things you can do. But yeah. So do you have a time of the day where you write best or are you a disciplined writer? When you yeah, yeah, I am. Um, well, not when I went through my spiral last year and learned about myself, but now that I'm back, um, I love going straight in the morning. Like you wake up, you write. 
you write until you can't write anymore and then you take breaks and then you write again like yeah I'm pretty good at like just writing and just churning things out and I like churning things out like I'll do a whole draft I'll change an entire script take seven scenes out in a week and that'll be what I do for that and then I will leave it for three months and then I'll do that again like I like bulkness on things just going with everything so are you, do you have a, a bag full of plays that you've written now or would you yeah. wait for this dead skin to be out of the way and then you'll continue to write? Well, I'm definitely going to continue to write. There's so much that I have to write. Um, but I did a Q Lab residency with Q Theatre last year. Again, a huge champion in my work, so they're great. Um, and championing young people from Western Sydney. And they gave me a Q Lab grant um, to write this play called Shithole, which was about... Um, my mum in Scoey's and sort of all her friends and there's this like little there's this shrine that exists what's Scoey's? sorry again with the acronym (laughs) Schofields in western Sydney near Blacktown and it's where my mum's from and um I did a verbatim piece that was uh, based on a bunch of her friends um but then fictionalised it where it's about this um place that actually does exist which is called Shithole and it's this little community gathering where all of these members of the community have put like tinsel and an old couch and like a girl's little bicycle and stuff it looks like junk but they all use it like a community garden and they sort of look after it even though it's a pile of trash and it was just the most interesting behavioral thing that I've seen from my sort of small town and um yeah and that and it's and in the play there's also another thing that's huge in my um where I'm from where there's like this huge water cooler thing with a human well not a water cooler like a water drainage system with a human-sized hole in the middle of it so I combined the two and an I created this shrine and um, yeah, and it's sort of a piece about that shrine falling down in 24 hours, like being um, deconstructed and all of them going through havoc in the last 24 hours before it gets destroyed. But from QLab, they gave me a stage reading. I did it, got a bunch of feedback. It was so useful. And now I'm going to turn it from, because I had like eight characters, which is just not feasible, but I was like, I'm going to write whatever I want. Screw it. And that's not feasible for an actual production of it. But I want to turn it into a two-hander because there's two girls that are at the centre of the play that are the two teenage girls. One wants to leave, one wants wants to stay in the town. And I want them to be at the centre of it playing all the different characters in the town, like all the old guys and stuff. And it's actually a story about, like, the breakdown of a female friendship and sort of exploring that because I don't think that's explored enough in theatre Um, and especially a young female friendship and what that means so that's already half written and I got the money for that and now I'm going to continue that and then hopefully turn it into a touring show that's what I want to do with that and then I've got a bunch of other stuff that I'm writing well it sounds like you've got big goals and big ambitions always always get the grants get the money you have to so how can people see Dead Skin yay come see Dead Skin at King's Cross Theatre April 2nd till April 17th the way to do it is to go to kingscrosstheatre.com and um, then Dead Skin is the name of the play. Just type that into Google, it'll come up. Um, and yeah, buy tickets. That's how you can see it. And I can hear your words and see your performance. Yes, you can. Well, it's lovely to catch up again, Lanika. Thank you, thank <laughs> you for, for reaching out. You're a refreshing Good. voice on the playwriting scene. And oh, great. Let's hope. Will you come back in five years' time, maybe? And, I will. Um, and tell and me where you are. Where you yeah, are. And, yeah, yeah. At. and I think you're the first interview I've done where I haven't referred to one question that I prepared. I think it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's unraveled that's itself, so which good. is terrific. So thanks yeah. for that. That, that. That's fun. And, uh, and chookers for the play. Chookers, let's go for it. Thank you. Dead Skin plays the King's Cross Theatre from April 2nd to 17th. I've booked my tickets, what about you? It's a terrific performing space above the King's Cross Hotel, well worth checking out, as is Lanika's debut play. Wouldn't it be nice to say you were there 
for the first of many. Let's hope so. Well, season four is off and running. Guests are plenty in the year ahead. Don't forget that the Stages podcast now has a website where you can check out all of the guests from seasons one to three and access those conversations. Simply go to stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for allowing us to drop in. Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time.